How's everybody doing? Awesome. Well, as you can tell, I'm kind of struggling to get started today. So um, as I'm kind of getting everything situated up here, I think I'm good. I would like to say, man, what a time of worship. Amen. So if my voice sounds scratchy, I'll tell you what happened. I was pouring it out up here, man. I was, I was getting it, but I'll tell you, not a, not a drop of effort was wasted. Man, we have some awesome songs. The preaching started at 10 o'clock. Man, the doctrine in those songs was awesome. So we're going to actually continue in that same vein. And the other thing I'd say is uh, the Boston trip. Uh, I, was, I had the opportunity, the privilege to go to Boston. I don't know. I'm bad with dates. But I went to the Boston and to see Mike Renault for the first time. It's kind of like a, a scouting trip, if you would. And uh, if you've never been to Boston, the context of Boston is way different. As soon as I stepped off the plane in Boston, it was not Huntsville. I know, I, you, you have a map too. Okay, uh, so it was weird. It, the, the city is given to like education like crazy. So what David was saying about, hey, let's get these, these kids as they're going into school. These kids have, have their entire life devoted to one thing, going to the MITs, the Harvards and stuff like that. Man, a lot of times if they're doing that, their investment ain't in the gospel. So a lot of these people maybe have never heard the gospel. So Man, let's not go up there without first praying. So I would, I would charge our people, man, get behind them in prayer. So, again, that's just kind of some, some um, things as we're going through an announcement that hit me. The other thing is uh, I'd like to say thank you for the opportunity, man. It's, it's always a pr- privilege and a pleasure to get to stand before you guys, open the word of God. And I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, with Jay, 22 years of happy marriage. If you see him, hug his neck, man. That's awesome. 22 years. Amen, right? So I hope he's in a time of refreshment. I hope he's, he's getting um, some good quality time with his wife. But as we kind of get started today, one other thing I'll say. I'm a little scatterbrained, but I'm getting going here. We'll get traction. Don't worry. I want to warn you. Uh, my name's Colin. I'm a deacon here. But with that said, it's, it's more of a warning than a title. In Acts 7, there's a sermon preached by Stephen. He was a deacon, I believe one of the first deacons. And I think it's the longest sermon recorded. <laughs> All right, the smart people are with me. So we're here for a... <laughs> and, and I'm not expecting a different result. So I'm glad you brought your stones. <laughs> You'll need them at the end of service. Uh, So, yeah, again, you're here for a long time, um, so buckle up. I'm just playing. We'll get you to lunch. Uh, But, man, we're in part two. I'm excited to be here. So this this series that we started, Jay kicked it off last week. If I could kind of run you through a little bit of the outline we talked about last week just to catch us up. We're in Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is is the second. um, It's Deutero 2, Duet, if you think kind of like that. Uh, But we've got to remember the context or place it is in the Bible it's after Exodus, and so in Exodus, we would learn that, that Israel gets deliverance from Egypt, which is a picture of our salvation, and that was only brought forth by the blood of the Lamb. Deuteronomy is, is before baptism, which was in the Red Sea, and we kind of learn, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 10, that's a picture of baptism. So Deuteronomy is after baptism, and it's after the wilderness wanderings, which we look at discipleship. That was when, when Israel came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, God moved them all the way to a, a place called Kadesh, uh, Kadesh Barnea. I don't speak well. But the fathers at that point were, were faced with a, a kind of a crux, if you will. They, they had to 
get to a place where their faith had to stand on what God said. So they, they sent spies in, if you remember the story. Twelve people went in, and ten of them gave an evil report, and two of them gave a, a good report. But it's there is where the lack of faith and rebellion started for, for Israel. And then we learned that Israel was forced into wandering for 40 years till the entire generation, this, this rebellious, faithless generation died off, except for two, Caleb and Joshua. So our takeaways last week, first takeaway was parenting was going to reveal who you fear. The best gift you can give your child is a personal fear of the Lord. And again, last week, man, Jay, Jay hit it, right? Um, pushed it right across the plate. Man, I hope we had ears to hear. The second takeaway take was parents can be tempted to use their children as an excuse not to possess what God has promised. And go back to Deuteronomy 139. It says, moreover, your little ones, which ye said should be prey. So their excuse was, oh, but the children, right? And we do this, and we know we kind of do it as parents, but, and it's a, our, our kind of fleshly tendency, but, but your fear of what your children's going to happen should not replace your fear of God. So third takeaway, parents who don't pursue God lose the privileges of leading their children into a relationship with God. And Sadly, this entire generation died in the wilderness. Their children are going to enter into Canaan fatherless. But they didn't get the privilege of leading their children. But that, their story doesn't have to be our story. In Deuteronomy 1, we see that failure of faith at Kanesh Bardia. And in Deuteronomy 2, the first two verses, it's pretty cool. It says they had to compass Mount Seir many days. And when you look up that Mount Seir, and how much they compassed for many days. It was 40 years they circled the same mountain, kicking the same rocks, just waiting for people to die off. But then we get this awesome outline, and we're going to be landing, if you have your Bibles today, weird place to say it, but if you have your Bibles today, open up Deuteronomy 6 for me. And I'm going to, I'm going to build this a bridge or a socket, a segue, to get from Deuteronomy 1, 39, where we talked about last week, and let's get us all the way up to uh, Deuteronomy 6. So chapter 2, they... they uh, Moses hears from God. He says, hey, Kate, it's time. You've been circling this mountain for 40 years. Everybody's dead. It's time to head northward. They need, God's trying to get them back to Kanesh Bardia. I'm not saying that right, but you get the point. All right, chapter 3 is where you, you see that their, their victories start to be over these two kings, and they learn to trust God in victory. Chapter 4, Moses recounts the history of, of their idolatry at Bel Peor, and they learned obedience. Chapter 5 Moses recounts the Ten Commandments. I'd like to make the point that this new generation, hearing these words, and, and Deuteronomy starts with, these be the words, the same commandments that he gave Moses, that all the, the, ch- uh, the children of Israel got that were fathers and that, that died faithless and rebellious, those people are done. But God is faithful to get his words, the same words, to the next generation. So as we get into our intro today, this will be the second part of a series that we've titled, Jay titled, I didn't, uh, Leaving a Legacy. This topic is especially important because the tax on the family go all the way back to the garden. And you will cripple the family, you cripple the legacy. That's what we need to get. And we need to renew our minds with the word of God to find three things that will impact our walk with the Lord and our faith for generations to come. So this is the thesis of our study today. How to extend past good parenting into godly parenting. And that goes for parents and grandparents, disciplers, disciple makers, everybody. We need to see our investments that are intended over generations. 
So we need to get far-sighted, get the, get the big picture. So what I've titled the lesson today is leaving a godly legacy over generations. So if you got your Bibles and, and uh, you found Deuteronomy 6, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get through the first two verses today with a lot of prayer and a little bit of help. So let's uh, go ahead and read these two verses and then we'll pray. These are the commandments, the statutes, the judgment, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye may do them in the land, whether ye go to possess it, that thou might fearest the Lord thy God to keep his, all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou, thy son, thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days be prolonged. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do love you. We do need you, and we just praise you for Jesus. Um, Father, I'm weak in my flesh. I'm a man of stumbling lips. I am I'm definitely not qualified to be up here. There's nothing that I could do uh, uh, that is in any profit in your kingdom to your people. But I know that, that your word, your word has the power, just like we sung about, your word has the power to renew minds and transform hearts. So, so I pray as, as I get the opportunity to say what you said, that, that I'd be faithful to the text that you can straighten out my tongue and my lips uh, to say your words and, and not my ideas and thoughts. They need to hear your heart from your words. Father, just be with us. Be the teacher. We do love you. All these things we pray in Christ's name. So we're going to go ahead and start looking at verse 1. And these are the commandments, the statutes, and judgments. First thing we need for a godly legacy, and I believe it goes in your blank, is a generation that has generational content. The generational contents would be the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments. We're going to develop this more and more as we continue our study in Deuteronomy 6. But if you're in Deuteronomy 6, let's skip down a couple of verses. There's, there's something we need before we kind of dig too deep. It starts in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command you this the uh, which, which pardon me, which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. The passage continues to say that that man from those words that are in thine heart, that hit your heart first. Those are the words that you teach your children. So under the context of parenting and and this content, we need to start where it all starts. And to do that, we need to establish God's intent for a parent is to lead their home with words that must be first in their hearts. So get this as a principle. If we're going to possess, uh, if we're going to parent properly, we need to possess God's precepts. And this starts with us. Remember back what we learned last week. This is the generation, that, uh, this is the generation in Deuteronomy 6 who had parents that failed to believe in God's promises and in rebellion died in the wilderness. As parents, we must have children who believe God at his word and live it out. But... Hang on there. It must start with the parents. Why is this? Because you cannot give what you do not have. You cannot teach what you don't know. And you cannot model what is present, what is not present in your walk. If it's not going to be true in your life, why would it be true in theirs? It's not going to be true in your child's life if it's fake in ours. One way to measure the contents of our heart is to examine our words. In Luke 6.45, a good man out of, the, out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth um, that which is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. And get this, of the abundance of the heart, 
his mouth speaketh. He's talking about treasure and what comes forth out of the heart. But what does he say here? His mouth speaks the treasures of his heart. So what will come out of you is what's in you. You can take it to the bank. Whatever's in you will come out of you. Give it time. And, it, and this principle is always true. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So if you were to back up, this is really cool. I was, man, again, this verse kind of hit me. Um, so I was kind of reading for context, and when I backed up a couple verses to verse 39, it's probably not in your notes, but you can jot it in there. It says, can the blind, blind lead the blind? Shall they, uh, shall they not both fall in a ditch? Man, think about this. If those words do not hit our heart first, that question that, that Jesus asked, can the blind lead the blind, that would be our story. That would, if, if our heart is not filled with those words, it is the blind leading the blind. So it's interesting, as we lead our homes and our children and others, remember we cannot give what we don't have. We cannot teach what you don't know. You can't model what is not present in your walk. If it's going to be true in your child's life, it has to be true in yours. Just as words are first given to Moses, as, as parents, as, as grandparents, as disciples, this word first must be in our heart. I'd like to kind of have us consider Ezekiel 3.10. says, Moreover unto me, son of man, all my words that shall I speak unto thee, receive in thine heart and hear with thine ears. So first it starts with our heart. So to lead our home well, it first starts with us learning to fear the Lord and learning to follow close to him. This verse is very, very clear as what to be taught. Well, if you back up to that verse, what is to be taught? Well, it's the commandments the statutes and the judgments. And I'm going to blow you away with this one. Those were all words. I know, I know. You have to go to church to hear this kind of, I know. So just as we saw in the book, How to Deuteronomy Starts, these be the words. God used words to inform, instruct, and correct the nation of Israel given by a chosen leader, Moses. So here's the central concept that I want us to get today. We need to get uh, more than good, but godly parents, and that's going to force us as parents to uh, necessitate that our words will be teaching and leading our children as God teaches and leads us. We have to use our words. We, we need to see here that there's two things that our words need to be, and, and kind of get this from the text. Our words need to be first teachable and then authoritative. So let's look back at the passage and see what we're, what we're dealing with. And these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgment which the Lord your God commanded to teach you. You get that? That you may do them. First, the words are teachable. So real quick, teaching is not lecturing. All right, Cody, you ready? I'm going I'm to put this one on T for you. Do you know why teaching and, and lecturing are different? Because they're spelled different. Man, that joke never gets old. I will use it all the time. So teaching is not lecturing. Lecturing is not teaching. Teaching, if you were like me and you had 10,000 instructors, because I was like 30 when I graduated college. I went to college the whole time. Don't have a PhD. I just had 10,000 instructors. Not the way to go. But if you went to college like I did and you sat in the back of a, a classroom auditorium, there's like 300 students with you, and it's one way in, in communication that's intended just to give you information. It's just one way. My teachers never called me and said, hey, are you living out? Are you living out what we were talking about on, on Friday? No, that doesn't happen. But teaching is instruction based on feedback and observation. Teaching is interactive. 
This is also why I would amen during sermons, because teaching is interactive. It's meant to be engaged. This is also lecturing. You can get lecturing on YouTube. And this is important, having a real-life shepherd, that someone that can see your walk and speak the words of God into your, into your life. So now let's listen to 1 Corinthians 4.15. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, ye have not many fathers. So instruction, instructors are different than fathers. A father is more than a instructor his, uh, because of his words. And now let's see how God uses his words. First, we have to see how God intends his words to be teachable. So we'll have to look at, at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All scripture, i.e. his words, are for doctrine. Doctrine is teaching, teaching what is right. Reproof is teaching what is wrong. Correction is how to get right. Instruction in righteousness is how to stay right. And we'll get to this topic and we'll develop a little bit more later. But here, notice that his words have a purpose and they're intended for a specific result. You see it in verse 17. That you may be perfect. Man, that's our, that's, that's our, our call to our, our character. And, and in, in Christ, that we have to know that we're complete and that we're lacking nothing. And furnished unto all good works. This is the appropriate action. This is the things that we need to do. Second, we see that God intends his words to be authoritative. Now let's look back at the passage and see in verse 1. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgment which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them. Again, do them. The expected response is obedience. The words aren't given just for consideration, but for cooperation. I would hope that we don't read God's word with the expectation that if we hear and understand, then refuse to follow in obedience, that God must have to repeat himself over and over that God would have to start to yell a little bit louder or for God to get us our attention and our obedience that he would have to threaten us. But maybe our picture of our children is actually how we are as children of God. So God commands and expects obedience from his children. But as parents, should we expect any less from ours? So Colossians 3.20 says this, Children, obey your parents in all things, for it is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Don't expect less from our children than God does. God said all things. This may cause, merit, and I'll tell you what the, the practical end of this is. Man, if, if your expectation is that you're, you're setting your kids up, and we'll, we'll talk about this, you're setting your kids up to respond to your words, like, like you need to respond to God's words. What happened to me in my house was I started to use my words a lot more impactful because if the 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 intention is that they have to obey in all things. What it means is I need to not treat my voice like white noise to my girls. I can't just be barking out things all the time and expecting them just to pick it up. And I had to, I had to become intentional. So I know I'm telling on myself, and there's been times where I've done something silly or made a commandment or made a threat, and I knew it. I knew it right after it came out of my mouth. I was like, oh, please come back. <laughs> And I knew Leslie knew it because she looked at me like, oh, really? Like, you're going to ask that of her? But, but I knew that once it was out of my mouth, the expected response from my girls, what was it? To obey. So as much as it killed me, and I had to really humble myself and, and understand, even in my mistakes, that I have to point, 
my child's actions towards Christ. That I, man, I said it. Yeah, but like she has to learn that she has to obey. Of course, I apologize and stuff like that. But there's never a point that we want to break that picture. Because as soon as we break that picture as parents, man, he even gives us the, the same name of, of him as some of these people in the room, Father. So we need, to, we need to honor that title. This point is crucial. We need to understand and internalize it. If we're going to repeat over and over, and I might repeat it because it's, it's that important, this point, I hope, becomes more evident and more practical as we continue in our text in the weeks to come. The reality is one day our authority, and I kind of alluded to this, but get this, one day our authority as parents must move from our parental authority to the authority of the Word of God. So everything we say, everything we do, we need to model and point to Christ as we transition from our love and care and provision to Christ. Our words and how we use our words should not be different to how God uses his word in our life. Our words need to be like a schoolmaster to transition our teaching and authority to the word of God. So let's hear Paul talk about it. And he, he's speaking to the church of Galatia, churches at Galatia region. In Galatians 3, 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law had intention. It was to bring it to Christ, just like our words are to bring our children to Christ so they one day can stand on their own faith and not, not ours. So I would say as we're kind of wrapping up this point, are your words teachable? Does, does God have the ear of the leader of the home? Are our words first in our heart? What is the content of our heart? Because remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. God, God uses words. Okay, here we go, man. This, God uses words, so should you. The home is not a place for a strong, silent type. So men need to open their mouth. God gave you a title to share, Father. So honor the title with the testimony and lead by your deeds and by your words. So you need to open your mouth and say something. Are you using the word of God for teachable moments? As parents, is our word authoritative? I mean, how many times do we repeat ourselves? How many times do we repeat ourselves? How many times do we repeat ourselves? How? I'll go all day. <laughs> you all know that, right? Um, so again, I, I, hope, I hope we see the generational content, right? We need to, as we're going to think generationally, we need to have content to pass on, and that's words. First in our heart and then into our kids. As we transition, the danger of how we use our words is found in statements, and we've all heard it. I've used it. Do as I say and not as I do. Man, I started thinking about that, right? So I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Not to say that if you say it, it's wrong, I, whatever. But I started thinking about this in the context of this lesson. And I was like, I don't see it anywhere. I don't see where God says, be holy as I am holy. And then commandments like, put off the old man and put on the new man, which is after Christ, or being conformed to his image. I don't see variance or division in what God commands and what he does. There's no difference of the words of God and the word of God, Jesus. There's no difference between the words of God, the character of Christ, and the words of God, his commandments. So second thing we're going to need, if we're going to be a godly parent, leaving a legacy for generations, is generational character. The character goes in blank. I'll give you a second to write down. But it's, before we fully transition to this next point of study, I want to I get you thinking about something. 
Have you, uh, y'all, okay, have you ended up exactly where you needed to be, exactly when you needed to be there, with never knowing the destination or the time you're supposed to get there? I can see you racking your brains, and, and like Mike Pierce, he's like, uh, I'm pretty, yeah, I can afford, no, there's no way that you've ended up exactly where you need to be, when you need to be there, without knowing the destination. There's no way. Does this really happen? Of course not. Could this ever happen with parenting? Like the sermon last week, would God have to be leading our children in spite of us, not because of us? Could, could, our, chin, in, could our children, I'll slow down and get it, could our children end up exactly on target without even knowing what the target is? I'll ask, what is the target of parenting? It's a fair question. What is the end zone? What are you driving at? As a parent, what's the big idea? What is the purpose of parenting? So I would have us look back in verse 2, because I think in this text we're going we're to find kind of the answer to that. Um, verse 2 kind of picks up, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep, his, keep all his commandments I'm sorry, to keep all his statutes and his commandments. I'm jumping ahead, um, which I command thee. So specifically, what is commanded to be passed on to the generation to generation? It's the fear of the Lord and to keep all his statutes and commandments. I believe this text reveals that to be a godly parent, we have to develop the, content, or the, the, the godly character that's found in a true worshiper. This must be our goal as parents, for our children to be worshipers of Christ so, man, to show this, to consider this, I, I would say that maybe right now you're looking at the text and you're like, mm, I don't quite see how that connects. So give me a second. Let me, let me run down kind of three things to lay it out. And let's see by the end of it, if you don't see it as well. We have to consider what he seeks. So in, in John 4, 21, Jesus talking to the, the woman at the well. Uh, we'll pick up in 22. Ye worship, ye know not what, but we worship. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Here's where it gets to the point. But the hour cometh and is now when true worshipers shall fear, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Here's where we need, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So what we need to see is God is specifically looking or seeking for one thing. Well, what is it? It's worshipers, true worshipers. It's worshipers that will worship him a certain way. And we're going to develop this later, but it's in spirit and truth. So as parents, why would our aim be any different than what God seeks? Why would we ever try to make up an end zone or, or create a goal for parenting that, that God didn't define for us? So as we're considering that idea of worship, I came up with this uh, all on my own. Um, and you can, you can see this definition of worship. Anybody believe me yet? Worship is an attitude of adoration or spirit demonstrated by an appropriate action. Of course, I didn't make that up. All the men, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. Man, I want you to go get this concept and teach it to your wife. Man, you're commanded to do it in Scripture. It says that you need to teach your wife. I would say, men, we, we got an awesome opportunity to, to sit under this and understand the definition fully explained. And, man, if we can get that sealed in our hearts and in the hearts of our, our, our wife. Man, what an opportunity to be able to clearly articulate the goal of parenting into our kids. So I would say that this attitude of adoration demonstrated by an appropriate action, this, this definition of worship, it doesn't include God. And, and Code make the point, 
It doesn't include God because it doesn't have to because we can worship other things. We can make actions. We can make sacrifices. We can, we can have fear and we can have reverence, but it doesn't always have to be towards God. But we do see in this, this definition of worship, worship does demand both in spirit and in truth, that our actions and our attitude have to be together for in, in worship. So in, in John 4.24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Our attitude is how, um, how we feel, how we believe, what's our will towards it. Our action is what we do based on our belief. So acceptable mer- worship of God must be aligned with the word of God. No action will ever be appropriate if it violates his word, C.1. So again, husband, teacher, wise, but my favorite example of that was actually in Genesis 22, the example of uh, Abraham and Isaac. If you remember back in Genesis 22, um, his son's there, um, and he's, he's going up to kill his son, if you remember, sacrifice his son. Why did he do, why was that? Why did Abraham do that? Was he just like an awesome father? No, of course not. I mean, he probably was, but that's not the point. The point was he, he took him up there for a reason. He was going to sacrifice his son for a reason. It's because of the commandment of God. Man, that's the appropriate action because it was based on God's words. And the other part you need out of that is in Hebrews, I believe it's Hebrews 11, and it tells of his attitude, his believing attitude, his attitude of adoration, and the fact that like even if his son was to be killed, he knew God would raise him from the dead. So let's give God what he's seeking and how God wants it done. So there's one more piece I'll have this examine and when it comes to parenting and children and stuff like that, and whose are they? It's a fair question. So, so we have um, what God is seeking. And by, by the way, it's not in my notes, but Revelation 4.11, it says that God is worthy to receive all glory, honor, and praise and power, I believe. But the point is God's worthy. God's seeking something. So our children shouldn't be any different. So let's look at whose they are in Psalm 127, verse 3. Lo, the children are an heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his, resort, uh, his reward. I don't, I've heard this verse referenced a lot, but I, I, as I read it, I don't think I ever heard it like, you know, like I read it and I thought, I've always heard it as a children are a blessing that God gives you. But I don't think that's how the verse reads. If the verse is on the screen, it says that, that children are heritage of the Lord's, are the Lord's. It's not ours. And, and this word heritage is also found in 1 Peter 5, 3. And, and God's talking to, our, Peter's talking to under shepherds of, of, of the flock. And he says, the flock is his. And, and the, the heritage of the Lord, that's his, his flock. But what he said is like, hey, as under shepherds, you can steward them, but, but do know they're, they're mine. And, and God's using the same way here. Heritage, um, it says neither being uh, lords over God's heritage, but in samples of the flock. It's God's heritage. And just like the heritage as, the, as this verse uses, it continues. Through the womb, children are his reward. They're not our reward. They're his reward. So this changes things. We're actually given stewardship, but it's clear we, the ownership isn't ours. God has blessed you with children but that blessing is a blessing of stewardship, not ownership. If we're given the responsibility to teach, protect, lead, comfort, exhort, but all the, all the time, the heritage is his. The heritage or the reward is his. So the goal 
would be his to define. So let's tie this all together. God seeks, what God seeks is worship from worshipers and children are his reward. So in the context of parenting, we must, as stewards, be molding, shaping our children to have an attitude of adoration with the appropriate action. This is what he seeks and this is what he says is acceptable, this attitude of adoration and appropriate action. True worshipers give God glory. So should be the case in our parenting and really every function of life. If you look at all your relationships in life, your marriage, it's give God glory by being true worshipers. But what I find so often is what is meant to give God glory, our marriage, our, our kids, our relationships, we turn it, we, we put a spin on it, and we use these things to focus towards our happiness. Parents often make idols out of the children and, and use them the children as objects of their own happiness instead of glorifying God as true worshipers. You know when this clicked for me? It was in a conversation. And I was sitting there and I was like, oh, I can't imagine the day that my girl would ever grow up. And man, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I was like, man, they're not mine. They're not mine. So it, the thought of my girl growing up to be a helpmeet to another man, bringing f- forth fruit to the glory of God as a true worshiper, I, I was offended at that. I'd rather them stay with me. God forgive me. That is not his intention. That's not what, how it should be. So worshipers bring glory to God. The goal and the purpose of parenting should be no exception. So let's um, kind of think about this first. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. So let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's all we have to do. By the way, fear God, keep his commandments. Sounds a lot like worship, doesn't it? So if you put the lens of worship over your entire life and understand that nothing's excluded, man, that's going to help simplify your life and you start to see things a little differently. So let's transition to practical. So as we understand, we use our words to lead and teach, and the goal is to give God glory and to give him what he's seeking, which is worshipers that glorify God. Now let us consider some practical elements. And this is probably where I'm going to step on some toes, but whatever. Um, our concern is over our children's character, not our convenience. Our, parent, our parenting should not be the path of least resistance or the parenting that makes our life easier, but our parenting should achieve the target. It's worshipers. Our children can grow up to worship many things, like sports, hobbies, games, dating, even their parents, by the way. Don't forget the goal. One day our children will be worshipers of Christ. God has given us, given them us to, uh, to mold, to shape our children. But we as parents don't see the right attitude or the right, dis, or the, the right action or the right attitude out of their life. What does that leave us to do? It's discipline. So how do, you, how do you get someone towards a goal without putting some markers? And what happens when you hit one of those sidelines? Man, you got to bring them back in. So now we're getting in the area of child discipline. This is always a fun topic, right? Um, so our key here, as we seek to develop the character uh, of a true worshiper, attitudes and action in our children, we must, be lear- we must learn to be discerning in the discipline of our children. Considering that how we defined worship, this attitude and action, this will help discern some very practical principles I believe we can put handles on. The first principle is this, discipline attitude, not only action. 
If your child's outward action is submissive, but their inward heart is filled with wrath, hatred, and malice, give it time, and what is on the inside will eventually come out. If you don't believe me, visit a college campus. Um, so this is why I, what I, I love what Sam Miles has, has said, and, and I'll quote him for sure. Keep your child's heart. Keep your child's heart. So one way we can keep our child's heart is to be discerning and gracious in failures. So our, our principle, if we're discerning um, how to discipline for attitude and action, would be that, man, we have to discern whether it's, it's weakness because of maturity or wickedness. So remember, this is Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Man, as parents, we need to grab that. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Your kid is going to act foolish, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Children will act like children, so don't expect maturity of an adult at a child's age. The right attitude without the appropriate action is teachable. Children making mistakes, man, they need to learn. It's just kind of normal business as, as kids growing up. Man, we have to be there. We have to be discerning. Discipline is, is necessary in our child's life. So as parents, we need to teach the appropriate action. And we saw that our words need to be teachable. Just like we sang about these holy words, man, they're transforming my life and your life. They need to be that in our kids' life as well. So since we're on the subject of discipline, uh, let's jump over to uh, Proverbs twenty-nine, fifteen. And the rod and reproof give wisdom. The rod and reproof. And discipline and words. So, well, you know, someone might say, well, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't think you should spank your kids. Well, I don't believe that you don't believe that. I, I, don't, I don't know where we're going to go around all day on this one. I mean, I don't, the Bible's pretty clear, I, I think. So, again, it's not... It's not up to our opinion. Uh, there's a lot of ways we can parent. If we're going to paint the end zone wherever we want, you do you. But if the Bible is the authority, then we're going to have to believe it, all the words of it. Um, so chasing our children is something that we have to do because 20, uh, verse 15 of uh, Proverbs 29 goes on. But a child left to himself without a rod or, or without a reproof brings his mother shame to shame. So keep your child's heart. Don't crush the spirit. The goal is to, to, break their wheel, to, to break their will, the foolishness of a child, not to leave their soul crushed, broken, and defeated. Certainly not. This varies with every child. But the end goal never changes. It doesn't change because of our circumstance. Dealing with strong-willed children, this is fun. Because, man, I have two children. Um, one super like if I just say it once and whisper it she's good and if I told her she messed up very softly sweetly she'll cry and tell me I'm so sorry man she you could crush her soul like that you don't have to correct her like she she'll she'll does it on her own but the other one I'm not gonna name names I'm not that type <laughs> oh y'all think you know what it is okay well the shorter one with smaller curls uh, <laughs> that one man you're gonna have to get into that one like but like that's how she learns like I'm not joking like there's a lot of times where I'll be using words and she's like yeah does the same thing and I'm like oh okay come here baby I love you know that daddy loves you again I'd use my words but I also have to use the rod of correction so again just a, a I'll say this about strong-willed children 
strong will children, and if you give them, if you point them in the right direction, that same strong will later in life, when they get on fire for the Lord, look out. Look what Peter did. Again, his will need a lot of shaping, and the Lord did that because he's a perfect father. But look at the first part of Acts, man. That guy was preaching it, just pe- preaching the paint off the walls. I don't know if they had paint, but if there was, he was doing it. Um, but, like, you take that strong will and you get them towards the worshiper of Christ, man. You can, man, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, we are, whew, we need to land this plane. We are two-thirds of the way through and only halfway through my notes. All right, transition. Let's do this. Um, we got the content. We got the character. God's bigger plan is, is to, than more than one generation. So don't think that it just ends because you parent your children. We need to be committed over generations. It's easy to think that, oh, I survived 18 years. But we need to fix that and, and see that we only have a fixed window of time to get the content and the character that's in me and my child who will be able to instill that in their ch- children. So maybe the question you could ask is this. Will my child be able to, at the end of, I believe, tw- 20 years, but at the end of, of your parenting time, will your children be able to invest and teach in future generations? Could they? Could they? Again, there's one thing to know, but to do is a little different. They might know how to act, but, man, it's different. It's, it's a different investment if you're going to just take to one generation rather than four. So the third, we need to see that a godly legacy over generations is generational continuation. I really struggled with the C's on this one. I rewrote this so many times. But it's generational continuation. In the passage we see in verse 2, that thou might fearest the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee. This is where it's at. Thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, that, that thy days may be prolonged. So we see that the command is for that content and that character to be over across generations. We actually see something else in this kind of text here. Well, let's see that... Um, we see that, that four generations of presence. I don't know if you can see it on the screen, but starting with Moses is, is I, then it's thou. I, I thought the physical illustration helped. Thy son, and thy son's son. So you see four generations here. And I know, uh, I know I'm, I'm sure if, if you saw the verse on the front of his discipleship binder, your spiritual spidey sense is going off, and you're like, oh, I know that principle. I, I've heard this four generation thing before. Man, of course, it's, it's Paul, right? Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and others also. So before we kind of dive a little more into that, let's get our key principle. Our key principle is we must be committed to see fruit, more fruit, and much fruit, no matter the cost. So in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, um, this is like the keystone verse for our discipleship, and, and we always have typically considered it, I think, in more of a, a spiritual sense, in the fact that um, we, we say that the implementation, implement, I want to skip that word, spiritual uh, implications uh, of our text, we have to keep it more on a physical side, right? So the goal in Deuteronomy is this physical fruit. And last week, if you were here, you would have saw 2 Timothy 1.5, where where. This unfeigned faith that was found in Timothy that it first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother uh, Eunice, and I'm persuaded in you also. So we see this idea that physically, in your physical family, that your faith can be passed on. 
So let's try to stick to the same focus of our study today so we don't, we don't kind of stray too far from the text, but at the same time, don't miss the spiritual application. And you could take that for all these points. So as a discipler, and you could run this list, and, and it has implications in that ministry as well. But with that said, let's, let's look at 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. So the key here, and this is where we want to land, the key is commitment. Paul is telling Timothy to commit to faithful men. That's exactly what we we need to consider. If we are to intend to change from a consumer, someone that's getting poured into, to a producer, or the person uh, who will eventually be able to invest in the lives of others, Understand that God's heart was always towards three to four generations. We see this in De- Deuteronomy 6.2 in our text. We see it in 2 Timothy 2.2, but also in Proverbs 13.22. A good man leaveth, leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. Man, there it is. God's heart, again, pass your generation on to the next, on to the next. God's desire is that our fruit bearing fruit. We see this in three levels of, of fruit. Um, so if if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 15, but, uh, I think some of the verses on the screen, but this, this, this three levels of fruit principle, we found it in John 15. It's, it's fruit, more fruit and much fruit. Um, and we see the key to that chapter is abiding in Christ and fruitfulness abounds. So a commitment or abiding is exactly what we need. If we're going to be able to see three levels of fruit in our life. So I think I have, um, John 15, 8, herein is my Father glorified, glorified that you bear much fruit. This is that third level. So shall ye be my disciples. So the other, the other thing in this chapter, if you were to skip down to kind of verse 16, is that fruit should remain. So, man, that fruit that, you, that, starts with, that started with the great-grandmother and went to a mom and then to Timothy, that's remaining fruit. Uh, I won't exhaust this. I left this in your notes, so I'll just kind of leave it for you all to study but in 2 Timothy, that's not right, 2 Peter, let's try again. 2 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, we always use this for, for uh, we typically go here for the, the path of spiritual growth. And it, and it starts with add to your faith virtue, and then it continues on to these, these list of characteristics that you have to build one top, on top of another. But, but as you compare those, what you see is God uses physical terms and ages. So he says, babes and, and little children and, and young men, and then to young men he uses fathers. So as you look at that and you compare those two things, it's going to lead you to this conclusion. Physically, what happens for a young man to turn into a father? Well, he, he has fruit. There's fruit in his life. And the, the point that I want to tie back to, to 1 Peter is this. There's a, if, you, if you look at that and you overlay those two things, spiritually, What's going to happen is there's going to be a point, there's an inflection point, I think it's called, where you're getting poured into, and then there's this point in Second Peter where you start to see that it's not about you, it's about other things. It's a point where, hey man, add to my virtue and my knowledge and my temperance, that's all things for you, but man, once you get into the patience, godliness, and, and charity and brotherly love, those are all things for other people. So here's, the, here's the, the point. Once you start to bear fruit, here's, here's what you're going to learn. You're going to need to start focusing on other people. Um, because God wants us to be fruitful across generations, 
that means that we're going to have to lay some things down. As fathers, definitely we know this, right? So um, just tell you, I was cool at one time. I had some pretty awesome hobbies. <laughs> um, not anymore. I, goodbye days. Uh, so I used to be into stuff like dirt bikes and sports and hunting and fishing, music and all these crazy things. Man, if you were a guy, I promise I could relate to you on some level. But I don't do those things now. I don't. The truth is, I just don't have space for them in my life because once that fruitfulness came in my life, my X amount of time could not facilitate all my hobbies. I love those things. But the problem is they served me and they didn't serve what, what my responsibilities needed. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, um, Paul says it like this. This might be my life first, I don't know. Um, when I was a child, I spake as a child. That's kind of where I stopped. <laughs> I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. When I, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Amen. So the key point is this. If we want to count, if we want to see fruit abounding in our life and fruit that remains, we're going to have to count the cost if we're committed to see the fruit in our life. So what does that mean? You're going to have to give up time, materials, liberties to see others grow. As a parent, <laughs> you'll have to give up sleep, attention, quiet, privacy, Y'all know what I'm talking about. Little hands on the door, need I say more. So you'll give up a lot of sleep, and it won't be quiet in your house for a long time. Like I have two girls that are just, whew. But, man, that, that day of getting that personal quietness, that's not, it's not for me right now. So grandparents, re- retirement might not look like retirement. It might look more like a job change. Or not. I, I don't know. I'm not a grandparent. I'm just saying if we're going to count the cost and be fruitful, we're just going to have to give up on ourselves. Take that how you will. Again, don't get the stones ready. I know where this is going. Uh, uh, I've accepted that my life cannot look like it did before I had children. Or do I want to? Um, so I'm going to have to skip through my notes here because I still have a lot of stuff here. Um, let me get... Let me say one word to grandparents. Sorry, I already offended you. Let me, let me, try, to, let, let me try to get it back here. I want to encourage y'all to be the biggest cheerleaders of the church because um, that last part of that verse where it says um, that they, those days may be, long, or be prolonged, man, there's some people in this room that can claim that promise. They can, they can say that, man, I obeyed my parents and I did what was right and I am, am living out that prolonged life. Praise the Lord. What a testimony. God's gracious, amen. So, like, what are you going to do with God's testimony of grace? But, like, man, it can encourage you to be a cheerleader because you've seen that God can be trusted. You know that he makes good on every word. Pass it on. I want to encourage you, again, to be the biggest cheerleaders because the time and value, the value of time and, and the cost of investment, you've seen, but you've also seen the reward, and you also know it's worth it. You've seen times change, carpet changes, paint changes, but God's still the same. He's actively working in the church. Y'all have the faithful stories of a faithful God who answers prayer and supplies every need, Philippians 4, um, 4 6, verse 6 and 7. Be the encouragement and the exhortation to young parents as they go crazy chasing kids. Man, be the storytellers of God's amazing love and grace and mercy to all the children. God has prolonged your days for such a time as this. The faith of a, a, a grandparent applied will allow grandchildren to trust God more 
and impact their lives with the Word of God. But I will say that, that last one, as we kind of wind this down, man, that, that last was actually not to grandparents. It's a promise that you can claim for sure. But who is that actually to? It's to children, right? That, that promise of prolonged days, of course, is a literal physical promise to the nation of Israel. Hearing this at this time found even in Exodus 20, where, where in Exodus 20, God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, and later Moses would give those same commandments to the nation of Israel. So in Exodus 20, verse 12, it says, Honor thy mother and thy father, that, they, that, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So, man, this is where Moses gave it, and it gave it to the nation of Israel. But I know what you're thinking. Um, I don't, does that apply to me? I mean, that's Old Testament stuff, right? So, I mean, that's for, what am I going to do with that for, especially if I was a child, right? So if you're a child still living under your parents, this does apply to you. And I, want to, well, I would love for you to realize this early and understand how good it is for you. Again, the promise is for you. This, this promise prolongs faith. It's not just an Old Testament thing. And I can, all right, y'all, y'all don't look like you believe me. So check this out. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3. Obey, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy mother and thy father. Wow, it sounds like we heard that before. This is the first commandment with promise. That, uh, that it be, oh, I'm sorry, that it may be well with thee that thou may live long upon the earth. See, even in New Testament doctrine, man, Paul's telling children that they can have long days on the earth. So this, this promise you can claim today. So you're thinking, so you're saying if I obey, I can live long. Absolutely. That's exactly what it says. Obedience is doing what is asked. Honor is how you regard. How you treat your parents and your heart towards them. That's honor. So, but wait, it says that, that you may live as long on the earth. Now, I see kids, what that really means is it's exactly what it says. Man, please believe that you can believe it literally and understand it practically. And I'd like to show this to you. Your parents tell you not to do some things. You feel me? They tell you not to drink. They tell you not to, to, to drive with anybody that has been drinking. Don't ride with anybody. Don't drive drunk. Don't do drugs. Don't hang out with people that do. If you make choices against these rules and wishes of your parents, your life can be shortened, literally. That's what the, you can damage your body, shorten your life, or you can end your life, quite literally. So in case I wasn't clear earlier, your parents, who God gave you, God put in your life to protect and provide and care for you, honor them, obey them. God didn't mess up and give you your parents by mistake. It's never God's fault for our disobedience. The Bible is clear. Honor and obey your parents. I know, kind of a weird ending, but, but understand that like, even though I was talking to children at the end, parents, we can make this way easier. We can, we can get God's word in our heart and with our words teach and direct our children towards Christ. Parents can understand the goal of parenting is to reproduce worshipers of God, not themselves, not to worship other things, not to worship other people, dating, stuff like that. Our commitment must be to be seeking to invest the character and content into generations to come. But don't leave convicted today. I urge you not to leave convicted. And that sounds weird, but let me, let me, let me go on. Leave committed it's more than conviction, it's commitment. It's committed to honor the Lord with what he gave you today. 
Honor the Lord in what you say, who you are, and your investment in others. So I, I would ask Leslie and, and Cody to come up for an invitation as we kind of wind this thing down. But again, consider, consider everything we heard. Um, glorifying God must extend past how we parent both physically and spiritually. We need to be more than good parents. God called us more than good, he called us to be godly parents. And what we saw today is that God would have our legacy in our generation to have his words in our heart to others, that our character, hopefully, would be one of a true worshiper. So I, I can ask you today, are you measuring your words against the, the words of Christ? If the people following you, does it look like they're following Christ? Do your words create conflict that, that God is going to have to deal with later? Do your children look at your words and say, I can obey that. I need to obey that. I see that, that my parents love me and they care for me. And that transition, when they later in life have to transition from your house to their own house to, to another husband, are your words putting them in a position to make that easier? Can they see Christ in your words? Your character, I'd have you consider your character before the Lord today. Are you worshiping in spirit and truth? What's your attitude towards God? What actions show your attitude? This is our goal as parents, not only to be true worshipers, but to produce true worshipers. Continuation. Are we investing to see fruit to three or four generations? If we're not, then why not? And we have a discipleship ministry where that's possible. We have, we have people that love and pray over each area of our life, man. We want, to, children's ministry would love to couple with you as parents to help see your children become worshipers. Are you committed to, fall, to everything you do falling out to God's glory? So again, I'm gonna close in prayer, but if that's, if you need to come to the altar, the altar's open, of course. If, if today all this was a miss because you're thinking, I don't, I don't, this doesn't make sense. Man, being a godly parent requires you to be godly. And the only way you can be in godly is, is to first and to be born in the right family. There's two families. There's Satan's family and God's family. We know this. But understand today, if, if there's never been a point in your life where you accepted Christ free sacrifice for your sin personally on the cross. And if that hasn't happened, man, come find me today. I'd like to take my Bible and show you. But for everybody else, man, we've heard a lot today and I hope, I pray as profitable. I pray that, that we could leave being better ministers, be better parents, being better grandparents. So I'll look to the Lord in prayer and, and then we'll, Cody and Leslie will lead us in a song. Father, we do love you. We do praise you. Thank you for Jesus.